Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Once upon a time, in the magical land of Equestria, there were two regal sisters who ruled together and created harmony for all the land. To do this, the eldest used her unicorn powers to raise the sun at dawn. The younger brought out the moon to begin the night. We have confirmation that this is good. We do have coming in. Coming in. That's, uh, that's confirmed report. I, I repeat, we have confirmed report that the fire fire confirmation in Philadelphia and St. Andrews. That was Blue Boy with Grave Fission. Hey there, friends, I'm Nuclear Yuki, and welcome, once again, to a nuclear reading show. Today, we're continuing on with KCAT's Fallout Equestria. Also, if you're enjoying what I'm bringing to the cold, dark wasteland, don't be afraid to tell your friends about me, or find me on Twitter as Nuclear Yuki. It's a big help. Oh, and a bit of a disclaimer, since the gangs can be a bit feisty. Fallout is owned by Bethesda, and Hasbro made My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. With all that said and done, welcome, friends, to the Wasteland. Chapter 29, Racing Apotheosis. Fuck! You know what irony is? I recognise the voice of Scootaloo, even though it was raspy, even through all her coughing and the mad clicking, and the roar of the wind all around her. I really? Is that it feels like I've spent my whole damn childhood trying to get my cutie mark, and I don't have it anymore. Irony is that I spent most of the last decade working to save Equestria for a mega-spell end of the world. Scootaloo's voice cracked, followed by a barrage of wet, raspy coughs. And then it happened, and I wasn't even fucking here. Broke my damn wing in a stupid damn accident while practicing routine for the damn gallops. By the time I got to the Hanoverian Pegasus Clinic, it was all over. Irony is that I'm the one who made Sweetie Belle the Overmare of Stable 2. I was beginning to worry about her. Now she's probably the only one of us who survived. I. The recording was interrupted by another fit of coughing. Apple Bloom was supposed to be in Philadelphia. Can't even get near that place. Pony would die from the radiation in minutes. I actually considered banging a hoof on Stable 2's door. But then I saw all the bodies. Sweetie Belle did right. Didn't open the door for any pony. Can't let this poison in. Contaminate the whole stable. If I knocked, 
Sweetie Belle might just open the door for me. And I can't let that happen. Fuck. I'm giving up my pit buck, leaving it here with this message. I figure if Applebloom survived, she'll come looking here. If not, some pony else will. Besides, I'm sick of it clicking. I don't need it yelling at me that the snow is radioactive and that I'm breathing in poison. The air is fucking green. More coughing. Except for those weird pink swirls coming off a counterlot. When you can see the air, you know it's bad. This time, the coughing fit lasted minutes. Fuck! That's blood. That's not so good. They kept telling us the cloud curtain was for our own protection, keeping the radiation and megastar pollution from getting into the Pegasi cities. Who knew that they were telling the truth? Fuckers said the brand is to mark me as somebody who'd been below. Contaminated. Now I know that's horse apples. <laughs> Told them. <laughs> Told them I was proud of what Rainbow Dash did. Called myself a Dashite. Boy, that got their feathers in a bunch. I really is. I worked really hard to find a better way. Some kind of society or government or something that would be better. Wouldn't make the same damn mistakes that killed every pony. And I get trapped up there with all slower ponies who seem dedicated to finding the worst way ever. And I wouldn't have even tried an experiment like the Enclave. The stables aren't set up to fail. <laughs> I give the Enclave a few months at most. Scootaloo's voice stopped. But no cough this time, just harsh breathing. After a moment, she continued. If you find this before I'm gone. She was cut off by an explosive cough, followed by several moments of silence, then a groan. If you find this, there's a shack marked on it. I traced Rainbow Dash to there. I think she's living there, or was recently. Wasn't there when I looked, but I'm headed back. I'm going to wait there, and hope she returns. I should be there for her, like she is with me. Somebody should be there. Scootaloo coughed one final time. Just want Dash to know, we didn't all. She's not alone. I reverently placed the battered old pitbuck back into the Rock of Destiny, where it had rested for nearly two centuries. The pitbuck of the first Dashite lay once again within the discarded treasures of Dashites to follow, all except for Calamity, whose relinquished possession of his old life we had come to reclaim. And Calamity's hooves lay the black carapace of Enclave armour. The tips of the built-in magical energy rifles flickered with wicked light. She don't rightly belong to me, I reckon, Calamity said. They belong to Captain Deadshot Calamity of the Grand Pegasus Enclave, and he ain't round no more. But after seeing Velvet put on that zebra suit, I figure it's a mad stubborn and foolish of me to not at least drag her out and carry her around with us, in case things get bad enough to call for her putting back on. Calamity looked up at us, his face reddened under his rust-coloured coat. You know... Since we have to repack everything anyway. I nodded, remembering the overturned Sky Bandit and the swathe of scattered possessions. So my buck was a captain, Velvet Remedy purred, wrapping the Enclave armour with her magic and floating it off the ground. My buck? I felt the stirrings of a chuckle. 
I'd been sure that Calamity would end up being Velvet Remedy's Calamity, not the other way around. But the mayor certainly wasted no time. I smiled at the both of them. This was good. The whole world was filled with so much bad. My friends needed some good. And I was glad that they could find it in each other. I thought of Amage and was thankful to her. Without Amage, I'm not sure my heart could have been so generous. Calamity stammered, blushing harder. Do you want to talk about it? Velvet asked gently, rubbing her head soothingly yet coaxingly against Calamity's neck as she floated the creepy black carapace to their side. Oh, well, she's got quite nervous her raffles. Maroon design. That's not what I meant. Calamity stared away. Ah, no. He turned back to her. Really? There ain't much to tell. And they made me captain, and with the promotion came new duties. I was assigned to lead a wing of scouts down below the cloud curtain. He saw my surprise and explained. The enclave ain't stupid. They've been sending scouts down here just about twice a year to get the lay of things for ages. And then they put out reports telling the civilian ponies that the world down here just ain't ready for us yet. All the air ain't breathable. Keeps every pony happy to just fritter away their lives above. Only that ain't how it actually is down here. Ain't been for a long time. And when I saw that, well, I kind of made waves. Then, on my third patrol, I saw a bunch of raiders hitting the caravan. I knew what was coming. Your policy? I yep. Ordered my wing to take the raiders out. They refused. So afterwards, I had them locked up for insubordination. Higher-ups took unkindly to that. Told me they was giving me one chance to correct the path I was on, or they'd be hell to pay for it. Calamity snorted and dug at the ground with a hoof. They put me in front of an assembly to address everybody and tell them how there ain't nothing down here to save yet. Show them all just how much I was hitched to the party wagon. Velvet Remedy backed up and looked Calamity over. Well, that was foolish of them. Ay-yup! Calamity's muzzle broke into a grin. I reckon it had been so long since some pony had bucked the enclave they forgot it could happen. I stood right up there and told every pony that we needed to get down here now. He paused. Well then, you know what I mean. Anyways, I told them I was leaving and that they were free to follow. Calamity lifted a hoof to scratch his mane under his hat. I didn't hear about how I supposedly killed my own wing about till six months later. I remember what Calamity had said back in Philadelphia. Most dictatorships I know tend to go hell and high water to either discredit or destroy opposing voices like that. I trotted over and wrapped a foreleg around Calamity in a hug, which I note was a little tricky since he was a fair bit taller than me. Thanks, little Pip. Something occurred to me. So? I asked Calamity as I dropped back onto all four hooves. Most of the peckers I don't realise what's going on down here. They ain't bad ponies, little Pip. Calamity whinnied. They're just being bamboozled by their leaders. Even in the best governments, the ponies at the top don't tell the rank and file what's actually going on. He trotted in place. You think the better folk in New Appaloosa have any idea just how connected they are to Red Eye? I remembered the way the ponies in Turnpike Tavern laughed at the notion of the buck on the sprite bots being any pony's leader. On the other side of the bottle cap, I was willing to bet Sweetie Belle didn't tell any pony in Stable 2 about the friends and relatives dying just outside the stable door, breaking their hooves against it as they begged to be let in. Hell, I was supposedly the leader of these ponies, and I was keeping secrets of my own. 
The truth about the Ministry of Peace and the mega spells came swiftly to mind. So I supposed Calamity's assertion was true. A little pip, if most of the ponies up there saw for themselves what's going on down here, they'd buck the damn enclave and pony up to help. Calamity's confidence faltered. Well, most being at least more than half, I reckon. I felt an odd tug at one of my saddlebags. I turned to see Velvet Remedy's pit buck float out, enveloped by Velvet Remedy's magic. I watched the polished pit buck, with its custom engraving of Velvet Remedy's singing nightingale, glide across the air and gently set itself down in the Rock of Destiny next to Scootaloo's. I hope it's not presumptuous, she said to Calamity, sounding slightly apprehensive. I'm not a dashite, but I am leaving an old life behind, and it feels wrong to be taking something out without putting something in its place. Thank you kindly, Calamity responded, approving. I brought up the inventory saucer on my pit buck, strolling through it until I realised with a pang that I didn't have anything for my life in the stable to give up. I stared forlornly at the Rock of Destiny, I feeling like I was failing somehow. I'd already left everything in Stable 2 behind. I probably would have sealed a picture of my mother up inside the rock, and I didn't even have that. No, but I did have something. Biting my lower lip, I pulled up the recipe for party time mintals. I would give this up, but I didn't want anybody else to suffer from them as I had. The first note outside, I discovered a message from Applebloom to Sweetie Belle, which used a very special encryption. I used that now, as I sent the recipe to Velvet Remedy's pit buck. No pony would be able to read the message without downloading it from both her pit buck and mine. I erased the recipe from my pit buck. Somehow, it was both liberating and frightening. Stable 2. I was leaving it again. This time it hurt worse. Probably because I knew that I would never return, even though I could. I felt weary beyond simple exhaustion. The mental toll of the night before was compounding the physical expense of the battle, and of nearly dying again. I stared at Calamity, who somehow managed to seem almost normal, despite not only having gone through much the same, but having been up for a full day, much of which was spent dragging the Sky Bandit. Almost normal. He had been ruthless, I was told, in hunting down the last of the Steel Rangers. I did not begrudge him that. But this had been more than his code, more than his policy. We were his closest friends, and he'd taken the assault on our farm home personally. Then again, with the exception of Zenith and Pyolite, we all did, for our own reasons. Calamity? I asked as I floated the Sky Bandit up off the ground. When we first met, you told me you didn't live in New Appaloosa. You said you had a little shack. I had a suspicion. Calamity landed on it and trotted in place, now weightless. The passenger wagon rolled easily under his hooves until he had it upright. I yep, he replied. And to answer the next question, I yep to that too. Got the marker off the first dash hat's pip buck by linking it with my armour, just before giving it up. Did Rainbow Dash ever return to the shack? I, I mean, do you know? I don't reckon she did, Calamity stated his words sending a bitter wave of sadness through my heart. When I got there, I found a Pegasus skeleton curled up in a corner, which I buried out back. I figure if Rainbow Dash had come back, there would have been two. Another pang shot through my heart. 
Calamity had done better for Scootaloo than I had for any pony who had passed on. I felt a stilly resolve build within my sorrow. Before we go, we should bury the skeletons in the Apostar Tunnel, I said firmly. I know we're on the clock, but damn it if I'm going to leave here again without doing that. Calamity nodded, just like I knew he would. Velvet Remedy trotted closer, levitating another pile of scavenged goods. This would be so much easier if I had a find our stuff spell. You know, if we're taking all these DDoS, maybe we ought to swing by my old place, Calamity suggested. I could gather up a few tools, and Lil Pip could take a crack at the floor safe no pony's been able to open. There was a twinkle in his eye when he said that. I heard Velvet stifle a snicker. I face hoofed. Oh, now that's just not playing fair. The clean-up and the Rock of Destiny had already eaten the first hour of daylight, and the burials would take up more. We'd be lucky to make Fetlock by sundown. But then, floor safe. A floor safe in a shack that both Rainbow Dash and Scootaloo had once called home. If extremely briefly, no less. The curious little pony in my head was prancing around eagerly, suggesting all sorts of possibly important or interesting things that might be inside. I shot Calamity a look. You think you can use my weakness against me that easily? I yep. I hoof stomped. Okay, yes you can. But just this once. I yep, sure. Ultimately, the burials added less than an hour to our departure time. Steel Hooves outcasts weren't all painted and ready to leave until halfway through the effort. I'm glad you're finally with us. A paladin buck named Bitterbright told Steelhooves as they finally began to march into the Sky Bandit. It should have been sooner. Steelhooves stated grimly. I should have done this when there was a chance for a peaceful break. This will be a civil war. And a bloody one. Paladin Bitterbright nodded. Star Paladin Crossroads has already locked Elder Cottage Cheese's communications down and sent out warnings to those and other contingents who would follow us. With any luck, they'll be able to slip away before word of what happened here reaches the other elders. I swallowed. What happens then? Paladin Bitterbright neighed. If we had done this years ago, with an elder taking the lead, then those who believe the Steel Rangers should be following the Ministry Mayor and helping the ponies of Equestria should simply have transferred to the new elders contingent. We would have been looked upon poorly, but the voice of an elder is law. Now... The Steel Ranger outcast took a moment of silence before continuing. Now we are seceding. We are traitors and mutineers. Once the elders learn of this... Any within their ranks who empathise with us will be exterminated. Oh, Celestia, grant mercy. Hopefully. Steelhooves added. Those who would join us can make it out before then. They will be galloping towards Stable 29. We will need to have it secured by then, or they will be galloping into a trap. Well, all except for Trottingham. Night Strawberry Lemonade piped up, joining the conversation as she moved to stand uncomfortably close to Steelhooves. My friend looked around as if searching for some trivial task to give her. In Trottingham, there are more of us than there are of them. In Trottingham, I bet the elder will be the one abandoning ship. The pony in my head whimpered, watching my actions ripple out into war and bloodshed. I'm so sorry! For what? Paladin Bitterbright asked. None of this is your fault or your doing. 
Except that, because of you and your friends, this squad isn't dead at Nova Rage's hoof, or still trapped in that stable school waiting to die of thirst and starvation. He nickered. This battle started the moment Nova Rage killed one of us and locked the others away, and that happened hours before any of you showed up. This is on her, and on us. Hell, we should be apologising to you for not saying enough until after the others started slaughtering the poor pony folk in the Ministry Mayor's stable. It's on me, Steelhoof said with finality. This has always been on me. As he plodded past me, he lowered his helmet and whispered into my ear, It's better that my child never knew me. Blackwing and her talons flew with us part of the way, delivering news of their victory back to Gord, along with the details of a five-year plan that the Overmare and Blackwing had sketched out upon my suggestion. Y'all sure we shouldn't stand there with you at Stable 29? No, Steelhooves told Calamity. This is an internal matter now. I listened to DJ Pernthree's broadcast in my ear bloom, but there had been no news yet of Stable 2, nothing that could forewarn the elders that their ranks were breaking. I prayed that the silence would last until I reached homage. It was another stroke of luck that Calamity's shack was only a little bit out of our way towards Fairplock and Manhattan. It was, however, completely in the opposite direction of Splendid Valley. I began to worry what Red Eye might do if we delayed too long. I was hoping that his twisted generosity was extended to giving me time to rest after everything I had gone through. What will we do once we reach Tempony Tower? Zenith questioned. Will Red Eye even let you get there? Knight Strawberry Lemonade asked, moving to a bench near me. Steelhooves had managed to successfully manoeuvre behind several other Steel Rangers, preventing her from reaching him. I found the little dance amusing, partially because her voice was so cute, even more so coming from inside that fearsome armour, partially because it was finally some pony else's turn to feel a little uncomfortable. Red Eye has the place surrounded, I said, frowning. Shooting our way in would be a bad move. But we could try sneaking our way in. I recalled what Amage said in her fake letter to me. Then, later, we can meet where we met before. And I promise... Well, (laughs) no need to dwell on what she promised. The important part was... I know of a roof access that Red Eye's troops probably don't. And I believe Amage is watching for us to land there. The others nodded. Zenith looked concerned. Will they even allow a zebra inside? Amage will! I assured her. Zenith might not get the run of the tower, but there was no way we were leaving her out in the cold. As we approached the turning point for Calamity's shack, Blackwing swooped close, flying alongside the Sky Bandit. The Griffin signalled me. Do you think Gordonia will be satisfied with the payment? I called out over the rush of wind. Blackwing barked a laugh. I think she'll be surprised. Disturbed, maybe. She was hoping for rights to draw from Stableto's water talisman. Instead, she's getting an offer to move the entire damn population of Stable 2, as well as its most valuable assets, to her domain. As Velvet Remedy had determined, Stable 2 could not afford to remain isolated for much longer. The population needed to genetically spread, to introduce new breeding stock from outside. But they couldn't just open the stable door, not with Stable 2 near the edge of the Everfree Forest and an hour's trot from the Raider territory. They needed to move. Shattered Hoof provided additional population and safety. With this plan, the Water Talisman would be moved to Junction R7, and the entire subterranean apple orchard would be relocated to the mines underneath Shattered Hoof. The Ponies of Stable 2 would start building homes in the land between Junction R7 and the Old Prison, 
it would be a massive undertaking. But then, Old Appaloosa had been built by Earth Ponies in a single year. It felt odd knowing that my new home was going to become my old home. Within five years, Junction R7 was going to be the centre of a town. I'm more worried about the delay, I called out. It's going to be a few months, at best, before the ponies in Stable 2 can actually start the move. Right now, the area outside the stable is just too dangerous. The Everfree Forest Exodus, however, was just part of the problem. I was even more worried about retaliation from the Steel Rangers. So for now, the stable was sealing itself up again. The ponies of Stable 2 needed time to process and cope with the trauma. They needed time to clean the stable and rebuild their lives. They wouldn't be able to forget, and part of me thought that was good, as it would prevent them from losing sight of what they owed and the changes that needed to be made. God's patience, Blackwing commented. But you've got other problems. Only way to ferry the orchard to Shattered Hoof is by rail, and those tracks pass through New Appaloosa. Crap. That's right. We'll work something out, I assured her. But I've got to deal with Red Eye first. I sounded more confident than I felt, but Calamity's words had reminded me that while there might be questionable or even downright villainous ponies in high places at New Appaloosa, the bulk of the townsfolk were good ponies. Hell, Ditsy Doo lived there. The thought of the ghoul pegasus brought up another responsibility. I had to find a way to thank her. We owed her our lives. Without those stealth bucks, which she had given freely to aid Blackwing in saving the ponies of my home, I moved away from the edge of the Sky Bandit as Blackwing veered off, the other griffins following closely. Butcher blew a kiss in our direction. I think it was for steel hooves, but I had no idea why. Maybe just the camaraderie that comes with a mutual love of excessive firepower. Calamity winged us in the other direction. This won't take long, I assured steel hooves and the outcasts. That's one giant cloud of scary black smoke. Calamity commented as we approached his shack. The smoke from the Everfree Forest fires had tinted the air in angry salmon hue. Calamity's shack, nestled halfway up a rugged plateau, was slightly closer to New Appaloosa than it was to the closest border of the Everfree Forest. But while it was nowhere near the fires, the prevailing winds were blowing the smoke for miles. I'd grown accustomed to the strange, sickly quality of the air outside, but Scootaloo's pitbuck message brought back memories. That first morning in the equestrian wasteland... How the sheer oddness of it struck me. This was altogether different. I could smell unnatural odours riding in the smoke. I could taste something pungently bittersweet with each breath. Should we be breathing this? I asked Velvet Remedy. I was reminded of the dangers of working in the Parasprite incinerator pits. Did any pony know what nastiness the smoke from the Everfrey Forest might carry with it? I suddenly envied the Steel Rangers, outcasts and otherwise for the rebreathers built into their armoured suits. Probably not, Velvet Remedy said, doing absolutely nothing to assuage my fears. The cliffs around the shack were precarious, with no safe path to ascend, and no outcropping to land the passenger wagon. After all, it was a home for a Pegasus. Calamity was forced to land at the base of the cliffs. After brief discussion, it was suggested that Calamity and I would head up alone. Oh no, Velvet Remedy put her hoof down, you did not bring us all the way here, Calamity, to your old home, only to not let me see it. Calamity nickered, looking apprehensive and a bit embarrassed. Come on now, Velvet purred. 
I showed you mine. Now you show me yours. I tried very hard to think of other things. I'll tell you what. I'll levitate myself up while you two fly up. Can you do that, little Pip? Levitate yourself that far? To be honest, I wasn't sure. Self-levitation had always been the hardest trick. I wanted to give it a try, but I didn't want to suffer the fall if I failed. Be ready to catch me? I asked meekly. Calamity nodded, stretching out his wings confidently. Somewhere behind me, I had Zenith ask some pony, Why do they not just make two trips? I looked up, pointed my horn towards the shack, and swallowed nervously. It was very high. My horn began to glow. Focusing, I enveloped my body with a magical envelope and pushed off from the ground. I had done this much before, just as in the pit. My ascent had begun to slow rapidly. I focused harder and tried to pull myself upwards. I was still slowing. I concentrated, sweat beading on my forehead and running down my neck. An overglow flared around my horn, casting reflections upon the cliff rocks. I stopped slowing. I was doing it. I was pulling myself through the air. I was pushing exhaustion. The effort was almost painful, but I was doing it. I was flying! I lay on the little strip of wood that amounted to Calamity's front porch, panting heavily. My legs didn't want to hold me up. Oh, they could if I asked, but they didn't want to. It was worth it. Just for a little bit, I was actually flying. It had not been a graceful act of freedom, as I was neither a pegasus nor a bird. It had been work, like galloping uphill against the wind. But I had done it. And for a moment, all the horrors and pain of the last few days was forgotten in the rush and exertion. I wondered how long it would take Calamity to fly up here with Velvet Remedy. Not long, my mind answered swiftly. In fact, I was surprised they weren't already here. I remembered that I still had a memory orb from one of the safes in the Philadelphia Ministry of Magic vault. The orb from the safe had also held a cloak. Judging from Zenith's reaction and recent Griffin-related experience, I deduced that it had been a zebra stealth cloak. I decided abruptly that I didn't want to spend the weight laying sweaty and wiped on Calamity's porch, so I floated out the memory orb and focused on it. And immediately I knew it was a mistake. Remembering the orb had come from a ruined box and was likely damaged itself, but it was too late. My body exploded, every nerve being flayed as I was burned over and over without dying. I knew my real body must be screaming and thrashing, but the pain was too intense to even fear for my safety. In fact, falling from the cliffside and being dashed on the ground below would be a mercy. A thousand white-hot knives sliced through my brain. An eye blink, or an eternity later, the pain stopped as abruptly as it started and I was no longer myself. I wasn't even a pony. This was a familiar strangeness, and I could feel the cloak draped about me, the hood of my mane and ears, as well as a saddle pouch and something strapped to my side. This too was familiar. I was invisible again, a fact all too easy to glean as I watched a stallion admiring himself in a mirror, a mirror which should also reflect my host from this angle, but did not. My host was a zebra in a stealth cloak, possibly the same one as before. If you won't accept my offer, then you should at least consider availing yourself of your good fortune that I'm willing to pose for your new publication. The stallion suggested as he preened himself. 
He was a regal, haughty white unicorn, quite handsome in his elder years. I am, after all, the best pony. Hardly, intoned an elegant voice which could only belong to rarity. If the stallion had noticed the slightly disparaging tone, he showed no indication of comprehending it. There is no place for grandstanding or glory hounds in the Ministry of Image. Our purpose here is to help the client shine all across Equestria, not ourselves. And our client is all of Equestria itself. We should remain invisible. With a politely sweet tone, she encouraged. Perhaps you could try the Ministry of Awesome. We were in an office, a rather nice one at that, with elegant curtains and a golden trim on the wainscoting. It certainly lacked the humbleness I had come to expect from a Ministry of Image building, which told me this was no MI hub, but the Ministry's headquarters on Ministry Walk in Cantalot, the one place where even the Ministry of Image would have to maintain an image. That's easy for you to say. The stallion frowned. You're already in charge of one of the most important branches of Princess Luna's new government. You're already in a position far beyond your wildest peasant dreams. Wow. I was quickly forming a rather strong disliking for this buck. Rarity's repost was controlled, calm, even charming. Humility was a lesson hard learned. In fact, it's called maturing. Something which, sadly, you seem to have little acquaintance. This is some sort of revenge, isn't it? Amazingly, the stallion still hadn't bothered to glance at the beautiful mare he was talking to. If he was the subject of my host's surveillance, then the magical cloak seemed almost superfluous. A lady is not vengeful, Rarity informed him with a refined tone. But you are not a lady, the stallion replied thoughtlessly. You are a government official. I wanted to deck him. You are quite fortunate that I am a lady, Rarity responded, and that I do not have a nearby cake. I had no idea what cake had to do with the conversation, but at least my host finally turned her attention to the gorgeous white unicorn. Again, she looked a lot younger than I would have expected, and there was no grey in her hair. She really knows how to take good care of herself, I thought admiringly. I bet she dyes her mane. And I am a prince, the stallion informed her, finally deigning to turn his gaze away from himself and towards the mare he was addressing. Proposal? Really? Rarity rolled her eyes. I have long operated under the assumption that your lineage was a joke perpetrated by Princess Celestia on... She paused thoughtfully before concluding. Any pony who ever met you. Rarity's horn glowed. If you were to accept my proposal, then you would be a princess. The prince continued obliviously. Oh, goddesses fuck me in a three-way. The jerk actually proposed to Rarity? That's what he meant by accepting his offer. A proposal isn't an offer, it's a request. Rarity glanced around, then sighed. Yes, and you would get a who from one of the most powerful ministries in Equestria. Or, at least... That would be what you seem to think. She looked askance. I cannot imagine any world where that would be worth it. The prince huffed. You speak as if I'm not sacrificing myself greatly in this arrangement. As your husband, I would almost certainly be expected to have relations with you. Unbelievable. I focused, trying to make my host run over and buck him through sheer force of will. Rarity stared silently. Her eyes slowly narrowed. 
Her horn glowed briefly again. This conversation is over, Prince Blueblood. It is time for you to leave. If you have any further business, please address it to any pony other than me. Your presence causes me physical pain. I am a prince and a member in high standing in the courts of Cantalot. You would do well to, but I don't want to. Rarity interrupted. I don't like you, and in fact, I find you quite horrid. I despise that my position requires me to acknowledge your existence, and much worse, give you the occasional time of day. But the time has come to a close. Goodbye. You have no place to complain. It is I who should... Oh, I'm not complaining. Rarity's eye narrowed dangerously. I'm whining. If I was complaining, it would suggest there is a higher authority to complain to. But there is not. I am the highest authority within this ministry. Observe. Rarity trotted to her desk and pushed a button with her hoof. Oh, guards! She turned to smile at the unicorn stallion as the double doors at the end of the room swung open and two guard ponies appeared. Prince Blueblood backpedaled, startled. Please escort the prince off the property. If he resists, arrest him. I would have enjoyed the show had my host not backed away, heart beating slightly faster. She turned our head, and I felt my teeth biting down on the object strapped to her side. It was the hilt of a sheathed blade, and the zebra silently drew it. The guards did as the ministry mayor requested. Prince Blueblood showed enough intelligence to not resist. I had hoped that once they were gone, my host would resheathe the blade, but the zebra clearly had other plans. We were alone with Rarity in her office, and she couldn't see us. Unbelievable! She nickered, echoing my previous thought. The elder unicorn had her back to us, her head lowered as she focused on something on her desk as my host began to creep closer. No! I tried to shout a warning. The zebra turned her head, aiming the blade for the back of Rarity's neck, right in the lush of her mane. I could feel my host tense for the strike. Rarity shifted slightly, her horn glowing as one of the gems on the front of her desk slid aside, revealing a secret lock that demanded her attention. Please, no. I felt something shift in the zebra's saddle pouch, a new weight. Suddenly, frantically, my host backed up. I heard the detonation, felt the brutal pressure and a searing pain, then nothing. My host fell, unmoving save for a twitching she could barely feel. It was as if her entire body had gone numb. Simply unbelievable, reiterated Rarity as she elegantly turned, staring at where we had collapsed invisibly on the floor. I heard more than felt the cloak being pulled off my host, glowing in a blue magical field that mirrored the soft light tracing the spirals around Rarity's horn. The moment it was removed, both the cloak and my host became visible. Rarity paid us no attention, floating the cloak over to her and flipping the rough fabric about until she found the gemstone clasp. There you are, my pretty, she said, telekinetically ripping the gemstone free, breaking the clasp in the process. Oh, don't you have some interesting magic, she said as she appraised the gem, tossing the rest of the cloak aside. Twy will love taking a closer look at you. I realised I was seeing the inception of stealth bucks. I recalled a message I'd found in a recruitment centre. Intelligence suggests that the zebras had developed invisibility spell fetishes, but this looks like something designed by the Ministry of Magic. In the pervading paranoia of late wartime Equestria, some pony had feared the worst, not knowing that Twilight Sparkle knew. But the zebras hadn't gotten this magic from us. We had gotten it from them.
The long, wicked blade lay on the carpet where it had fallen, close, yet impossibly out of reach. My host tried to move towards it, but her body wouldn't respond. I slipped a stun grenade into your saddle pouch, Rarity informed us, moving the gemstone out of sight. I like to think I'm rather an expert at manipulating cloth, even if I can't see it. The zebra shuffled closer to the braid. Really? Rarity said with a ladylike scoff. She floated the blade away, turning a disdainful gaze upon us. A zebra assassin attempted to infiltrate my office and murder me concealed under a cloak with an enchanted gemstone. She leaned closer. I'd explain how I got my cutie mark, but it wouldn't do you any good where you're going. Another cocoon of light wrapped around a headset on her desk and floated it over her head, gently sliding it into place around her ears and muzzle. Although, I do have to wonder, were you trying to assassinate one of Nightmare Moon's cabinet? She asked, turning her tail to us as she slid open the hidden compartment on her desk. Or were you after this? Rarity cantered to face us. Floating in front of her was a powerful, dark tone bound in twisted black hide. The moment I saw the book, I knew it held so many secrets. So many things just waiting for me to unlock if I could only look at the pages. Well, I suppose we'll find out, won't we? Rarity promised. She lifted a hoof to the headset, her expression instantly changing to one of barely bridled joy. Oh, Pinkie Pie, this is Rarity. I've got a present for you. She smiled. You'll love this one. I came to on a worn, musty cot in Calamity's shack. Velvet Remedy was laying on the floor, panting and soaked in sweat. Calamity himself stood towering over me, shadowed from the light coming through the window over the workbench behind him. What happened, little Pip? Uh, what? I blinked, looking around. What? You made it all the way up, Calamity asserted. I saw you do it, but we were most of the way up when you screamed, thrashing like you were on fire, and flung yourself from the porch. I... I fell? My eyes went wide. I turned, looking around. The door to the shack was open. I blinked as the image of the black book swam in front of me, much like having turned away after staring at a bright light and seeing the shape of the light dance before your eyes, but nothing in a visited memory had ever left such an imprint outside of the experience. I blinked, clearing my vision. I could see the porch where I had been laying. The memory orb was nowhere in sight. Darn, don't you fail, Calamity retorted. We had a hell of a time getting you up here, even after you went limp. Been worried sick. What the hell happened? I... I looked towards the empty porch again. My instinct was to lie, but there wasn't a lie that would end up worrying my friends needlessly. I made a mistake. While I was waiting, I touched a memory orb, only it was damaged. You did what? Calamity snapped. On the porch, little pip. I barely caught you. I cringed back, staring up at my Pegasus friend, my hooves pushing at the cloth on his cot as my back thumped softly against the wall. You know, it's hard enough flying while carrying one pony. I can't do it with two when the second one is bucking and screaming like she's being eaten from the inside out. Calamity lashed out. Unpleasant nightmares about parasites washed through my mind. You nearly brought us all down. Velvet Remedy had to use her magic to carry her. And I'll remind you, she ain't nearly as good at that spell as Yella. I turned a nervous look to Velvet. She was so exhausted that she could barely return my gaze. And don't you think after all she's been through last night, that maybe she didn't deserve for you to make us all scared to death that you're dying from something in the smoke? 
Oh, goddesses. The weight of what I'd thoughtlessly done to them crushed down on me. I started to shake. The hurt from my shame and calamity's righteous anger broke the floodgates, and suddenly the emotional deluge from the last half-week consumed me. The horrors of Philadelphia slavery, the pit, the threat to homage, slaughter at stable two, my mother. I'm sorry! I yelled back, bursting into tears. I fucked up! It was horrible! I'm sorry! God dang it, little pip! Calamity growled back angrily. Your curiosity is gonna get you killed one of these days. And today, you nearly took all of us with you. I'm sorry! Calamity snorted, glowering at me as I broke into sobs. Velvet Remedy trembled, huffing as she got to her feet and moved closer to me, pulling herself onto the cot with a painful effort. Okay, Calamity insisted. Ground rules. From now on, y'all don't play with one of those things unless you're on the ground, out of combat, and somewhere safe. And you have one of us watching over you. Having laid the law, Calamity allowed his expression to soften, his own utter exhaustion finally showing through his eyes. He gently wrapped me with a wing. The two of them stayed with me until the tempest passed. Now, buck up, Lil Pip, Calamity finally said, prodding me with his wing. You're going to have a look at that floor safe or not? I nodded, although for the first time, I didn't really feel right allowing my curiosity to be sated. I slid slowly from the cot and looked at the floor beneath it. It was, at most, an average lock. Even in my distress, I could open it easily with or without tools. The safe clicked open. Amongst the saddlebags worth of decayed personal effects, one item sat gleaming and unblemished by time. A statuette of Rainbow Dash. Her pose was powerful, wings spread and a huge grin on her face. Go ahead, Calamity said softly. Take it. I know you collect those things. But don't you want it? I asked, surprised. I already got a cutie mark burned into my flanks. I figure she's ready close enough to me. I nodded, then carefully reached out with my magic, experiencing a sudden surge as my magic touched the statuette. I was better. I felt like I could be better than I had been before. Do anything. Nimbler. More graceful. But much more than that. I was, in a word, cooler. The inscription was what Rainbow Dash's inscription had to be. Be awesome. Calamity stepped out of his shack and into the oddly reddish-orange air. He was encased in the terrifying black carapace of his old enclave armour. The tips of his four Nova Surge rifles glistened wickedly. He tested his wings in the scorpion tail. Then he lowered his head and hoofed off the helmet. He looked back up, letting the smoky wind catch in his orange mane. He looked weird without his hat on. Forget it! He huffed with a stomp. I am not going round like this. He turned and trotted back into the shack. I'd rather be shot. It took him less than a minute to shuck the armour. Velvet Tremity wrapped it in her magic, making sure to also collect the helmet from the porch. Well, at least take it with us. You may change your mind when you see whatever forces Red Eye has around Tempori Tower. Fine, he grumped. I've grabbed everything I want. Let's just go. I paused. Calamity? I know you are hoping to sell a bunch of those slaver weapons up at Tempony, but I really think we should give them Ditsy do. You know, as a thank you for what she did for Stable 2? Velvet Remedy neighed. That would be a rather impersonal gift, little Pip, and possibly a painful one. 
considering what slavers have done to her. I frowned, wincing. Besides, do you really want to give New Appaloosa more weapons right now? I had to admit that I did not. Instead, Vote Remedy looked a calamity. Do you know anything Ditsy-Do likes? I agree with Little Pip. We do need to give her a gift. Something that will show our thanks for her help. Well, Calamity thought, she likes muffins. Velvet looked shocked. Can ghouls even eat? Apparently, they didn't have to, but they could. I smiled. Between Homage and Zenith, we had the best cooks in the equestrian wasteland. I spent most of the ride trying not to think about anything that had happened recently. I knew that if I did, I'd start crying again. Instead, I tried to focus on the discussions between the outcasts. They delved into internal steel ranger politics, and I felt my attention drifting. Night Strawberry Lemonade sat next to me, chiming into the older members' conversations at every opportunity. Strawberry Lemonade, I thought, sounded delicious. I groaned, catching myself before my imagination went too far south. I needed homage. I looked down over the side of the passenger wagon. Twilight was spreading across the wasteland as we approached Fetlock. Below, I spotted the mostly collapsed ruins of the first cottage, but the wandering merchant and his mechanical owl had moved on. As we approached Fetlock, I spotted the faint column of smoke raising over the pony hole that led to Stable 29, more curled up from nearby drainage grates, but there were no sounds of fighting. That is either very good, Steelhooves commented, or very bad. As we drew closer, a steel ranger moved out of the shadows. There was a flash of light. I ducked, expecting an impact. But it hadn't been a weapon. It was a flare. Thank Applejack. I thought I heard Steelhooves mutter. It was good news. I let out a breath. It was about time the equestrian wasteland threw us a break. Our luck continued to hold out as we glided through the night over the Manhattan ruins. As we approached the top of Tempony Tower, I could see the firelights from Red Eye's camps below, ringing the tower on the ground and lighting up the Celestia line. They had taken the exterior of the Four Stars station. Griffins flew in patterns about the tower, but they flew low, looking for targets on the ground. I realised with a start that Red Eye didn't know about the Sky Bandit. He knew he had a Pegasus, so he could suspect we had faster transport, but he had to allow for the possibility that we were walking. And if that were true, we'd be barely making Manhattan now if we travelled here straight from Philadelphia. We had time. We had a problem. There was an alicorn perched on the roof of Tempony Tower. Her shield was down, all the better to spot incoming little pips. I could shoot her. The silent zebra rifle would do more than the trick, but the moment she went down, every alicorn in the area would know and there was a good chance Red Eye would too. The passenger wagon lurched hard. Ah, oh, crap! Calamity grunted as we began to sink out of the sky. The spark batteries were drained, and our poor Pegasus was too exhausted to handle the sudden change in weight. He nearly fainted from the strain. We began to plummet. Frantically, I concentrated on wrapping the Sky Bandit with my magic. If I could pull myself through the air, maybe I could slow or even reverse our fall. My horn flared brightly. The strain hit me like a shock, buckling my legs, reminding me that I hadn't slept in over a day. We were still falling. I pushed harder, gasping, my body trembling. A layer of overglow burst from around my horn, 
sparks started to shoot from its tip. The glow around the Sky Bandit became brilliant. It attracted the attention of one of the griffins below as we plummeted towards their patrol line. The griffin turned towards us, lifting her sniper rifle, and fired. Now everyone would know where we are. I couldn't focus on that. I was pouring everything I had into trying to slow our descent. A second overglow wrapped my horn. Beams of light shot from it. We began to slow. Ah, oh, hell. Calamity moaned weakly, all but collapsed in the harness, as the alicorn took off from the roof, diving towards us as she put up her shield. I screamed, somehow tapping into strength I didn't have. Be strong. Be unwavering. Be awesome. A third layer of overglow erupted from my horn. The sky bandit stopped abruptly, hovering in the air. And then we began to ascend. The alicorn's eyes widened as she stopped her descent. Her glowing horn began to crackle with electricity as she prepared to cast a bolt of lightning at us. The griffin shot again. This time, the bullet hit the wagon, leaving a small hole in the roof. The griffin began to reload and was engulfed in green flame. Pyite hooted happily and swooped back up after us. Velvet Rampity tossed her shield around the sky bandit. The first bolt of lightning struck it and the shield imploded, but it kept us from being hit. Part of my mind realised that the shock from a strike would obliterate my concentration and we would fall to our deaths. The alicorn was flying upwards, back towards the roof, keeping a distance between herself and us as her horn crackled again with electricity. Pyrelight landed next to Velvet Remedy, looking proud. Zenith had shattered another flask on the floor and was stomping in it. As the second bolt lashed out, the zebra grabbed my mane in her teeth and pulled me onto her back. The powerful electrical bolt hit the sky bandit, arcing all about the metal frame. Velvet let out a ladylike squeal and collapsed. Pylite squawked and tumbled onto the floor of the passenger wagon. Zenith and I remained unharmed, protected by her insulating potion. We continued to rise. There was nothing else we could do. The alicorn landed on the edge of the roof. Motes of magic began to form a ring around her, forming into eldritch darts. From somewhere on the rooftop... A lashing beam of cosmic energy struck the alicorn, rippling the shield where it pushed through to strike the monster directly. The shield imploded as the alicorn was reduced to illuminescent, moon-coloured ash. I floated the sky bandit onto the rooftop. Amage was waiting there for us, the alien weapon floating by her side. As soon as she saw me, she galloped into the passenger wagon and wrapped me in a hug. Amage! I could smell her. I could feel her soft coat and the warmth of her body. My own relaxed in her embrace, and once more, I began to cry. A zebra! Homage squealed happily. Zenith cringed back as Homage offered her hoof. She doesn't like being touched, I told the sexy grey unicorn. Homage lowered her hoof and nodded. And who might you be? Inspiration hit me. Homage, would you allow... I paused. Could you ask a DJ Point 3 if Zenith could spend some time in the MASEBS? Homage and Zenith looked at me curiously. Please? I asked Homage. I... I'm sure it could be arranged, Homage said trustingly. I turned to my zebra friend. DJ Point 3 has cameras all over the equestrian wasteland. Maybe one of them has seen your daughter or her tribe. The zebra's eyes widened. I saw a glimmer of hope. Homage smiled. Yes, please. And I'm sure I can get DJ Pwn3 to let you have a peek at some of the archived footage. I'll show you how to do so, then leave you in private. 
She blushed a little. Little Pip and I are going to be busy, but we won't be far away. She likes spankings and bondage, Velvet told Amage in a conspiratorial, overly loud whisper. I stared at her, wide-eyed, blushing hotly. That's... that's not true! Amage raised an eyebrow. Did you two talk about liking bondage and spankings? She asked innocently. No, I mean, yes, but... Oh, Amage feigned understandingly. So you talked about Velvet liking bondage? No, me, but... Oh, crap. So you do like it? Amage was grinning way too much. I gave up, hanging my head and accepting my doomedness. I narrowed my eyes, whispering to the charcoal-coated mare. All those times I fantasized about you? That was before I learned you were evil. Don't worry, Amage said, wrapping a foreleg around me as she smiled, her eyes twinkling as she glanced to Velvet. Last time, I learned you were multi-orgasmic. Tonight... I'm going to find out just how many you can have before you pass out. She nibbled one of my ears. Then, I'm going to find out if I can wake you up with one. So, some bondage might be required. I felt myself flooding with heat and embarrassment. I simultaneously wanted to both let her tie me up and do whatever she desired, and to run away and hide underneath a rock forever. I swayed, feeling faint and nearly fell over. Delicately, Amage manoeuvred me towards the rooftop door. Wow, Zenith said, standing with the others as we walked away, her exotic voice gaining a touch of melancholy. With all your teasing, I was beginning to feel sorry for the little one. Now I just feel jealous. Yes, Velvet Remedy agreed, sounding a touch stunned. So do I. She turned to Calamity. No offence. Offence? Hell, I feel jealous. Amage snickered, then turned to the others. Are you coming? I stopped, at first thinking that she was inviting them to watch. That I couldn't possibly. No. But Amage had less cruel plans. I've arranged for the rest of you to have the same suite as before. It's all taken care of. Velvet Remedy and Calamity had taken their leave. Velvet mentioning something about dragging the poor Pegasus buck to the spa. Homage, Zenith and I were left alone in the room with the huge alicorn water fountain. As physically exhausted, emotionally gutted, and achingly horny as I was, I could not seek attention for my needs until others had been met. First came Zenith set up in the emergency broadcast station. Zenith's eyes went even wider as she took in the walls of monitor screens. Many still flickered and suffered distorted images, but I saw all of them were working. This is amazing, the zebra breathed. What is this place? Amage told her, adding, The images you see here are from the spire towers like the ones in Philadelphia. Until just over three days ago, the ones from Philadelphia were dark. Red Eye is using that tower for something, and it was keeping me from getting a signal. But thanks to little Pip... DJ Pwn3 now has eyes in the heart of slaver territory, too. Homage gave Zenith a sympathetic and hopeful smile. We'll finally be able to start doing some real good out there. The zebra nodded. For the next hour, Homage instructed the zebra in the camera controls and accessing the archives. Zenith took to it with difficulty. In the meantime, I mostly just watched. In Homage's home, I finally felt safe. I was no longer on edge. 
no longer running or fighting, and my body kept trying to fall asleep. I did, however, manage to get a promise from muffins from both of them. Dizzy Doo would soon be getting the biggest and best muffin delivery in the history of the equestrian wasteland. And then, finally, Amarge and I were alone together in the foyer, standing next to the fountain. And what should I do with you, my wasteland heroine? Amarge purred. First, I mean. Amarge, I said reluctantly, we need to talk. Oh my, sounds serious. I nodded, falling to my haunches. I began to talk. I started with the truth about Steelhooves and Chief Grimstar, apologising profusely for having not told her sooner. Amarge's expression was troubled, but forgiving. And then I told her of Red Eye and the Mega Spell. We have to evacuate the tower, I said finally, quickly and stealthily. We can't leave Tempony Tower, Amarge said, shaking her head. I know they have you surrounded, but maybe with the Sky Bandits or through the tunnels? I fretted. It can't be impossible. Amarge shook her head again. No, some of the population may be, but even then, I can't leave here. We can't let Red Eye take this place. I know DJ.3 is important, but he's not as important as your life. She couldn't understand that, of course, but I'd seen Gardens of Equestria. I knew. Then you seriously underestimate the need for a voice of truth and hope in this ruined world. Amash told me. DJ Pwn3 gives the ponies of the equestrian wasteland the warnings and advice they need to survive. But more than that, he gives them comfort and the hope they need to make surviving worthwhile. I looked away and nodded, feeling ashamed. She was right. And while I would say DJ Pwn3 is the most vital thing we need to preserve and protect here, he is not the only treasure in this tower. I looked up in surprise. This was new. Amage brushed my hair tenderly, even as her own blue mane fell into her eyes. Little Pip, love, she said, that word shooting thrills through me, igniting desires and dreams. Tempony Tower was a prominent hub for the Ministry of Arcane Sciences. It's not a hotel or a mall. There are secrets here. Secrets? I asked. That damnably curious pony in my head was perking at the mere idea. What sort of secrets? I could tell Amage was debating whether or not to tell me, but only for a moment. Little Pip, did you ever wonder how I could stay here? DJ Pwn3's public assistant, when the stuffy lot in this place despise him so? I had to admit the question had never occurred to me. There is a secret society within Tempony Tower. They're the ones who, I dare say, are really in charge. She backed up and looked around. There are places in this building that are sealed off from the general public. Places where the Ministry's secrets played out. All manner of magical research and development. She looked at me, tossing her hair out of her eyes. You know that annoying shield spell the Alicorns all have? It was developed here. I found myself looking up at the age-darkened bronze statue, the Alicorn in the room. And you haven't seen how powerful that spell can get if you pump enough power into it, Omaj told me. The only reason the Alicorn shields can be punched through with the right firepower is because they can't manifest it at anywhere near its full power. Actually, I said, 
remembering the supercharged Alicon from the Philadelphia crater flying through the building, her shield tearing apart walls and supports. I think I have! Homage bade me to tell about it. Once I was done, she nodded, visibly shaken. I think you're right, she admitted. Homage continued. In the weeks before the end, one of the other hubs in the Ministry of Arcane Science cracked some sort of sub-spell that they could use to enhance the shield spell. She continued, Not make it more powerful, but make it so that some specifically designated ponies could pass through a shield as if it just wasn't there. They started creating enchanted shield generators, placing them inside rooms or sections of buildings that they wanted secure. With that... Amage hopped up onto the fountain's rim and tapped her right forehoof rhythmically on the Alicorn statue. I gasped as the horn flared with magic and the glowing aura of a magical shield swept over the walls. The MASEBS and Twilight's Anthonium are amongst Tempony Tower's sealed areas. She said with a smile, To the population below, DJ.3 has always been a strange hermit living in a part of the tower that no pony can get to, always dealing with the outside world through intermediaries. My jaw dropped. Once started, the only way to turn off the shield was from inside, and the only ponies who could get inside were those designated by the sub-spell. Bypass spells, I said, reclosing my jaw. Amash gave me a quizzical look. The sub-spell! It's called a bypass! Twilight Sparkle reverse-engineered it from a zebra enchantment! Like the stealth bucks, I thought. Shield screens that let specific materials through my flank. Damn it. I was going to have to kill the goddess for Red Eye after all. Not only is it the only way to protect Homage and the ponies of Tempony Tower, it was the only way to keep him from taking too close a look at this place. Could we move all the ponies into the tower into the shielded areas? I asked. Not for long, Homage answered. And I don't think it would do much good. If that Balefire bomb goes off, it will take out the foundation and everything not protected. All the shielding in Equestria won't save us from the fall. Glumly, she admitted, the shields that were used to protect the whole building haven't worked since the first one. I know, I told her, recounting how a wrong turn in the basement had brought me to the room full of generators. I didn't mention the maintenance pony who had died from shrapnel when the megaspell overloaded them and they all exploded. Another realisation struck me. Red Eye is researching a way to trick a bypass, I warned her. If these shields were being used to house the most vital research of at least one of the ministries, what could he be after? Was it here? He hasn't had much success yet, but he's got ponies working on it. Omar frowned. Not good. She hopped down from the fountain. Thank you for the warning, little Pip. She approached me. Problem is... There already is a way to trick a bypass, right? I nodded. The bypass works on genetics, and it's not as accurate as the Ministry of Arcane Science has thought. Close family members of the designated ponies, or even a direct descendant from them, can get through a bypass. That's how I can get in here, even if the shields are up. Homage looked back at the Alicorn, and then to me. The shields in Tempony Tower were set to only allow Twilight Sparkle and the three highest-ranking unicorns in the Manhattan MAS hub to pass through. Turns out, I'm a direct descendant of one of those high-ranking unicorns, she revealed to me. Just like the ponies who actually control Tempony Tower. That's why they want me here, Amash added cautiously. 
as long as I don't make too many waves. Oh, oh wow. I'll admit, I've been talking you up a lot, and I think I'm finally getting the others to come around. It won't be long before I can put the special resources of this tower at your hooves. Amage smiled sweetly. Let me give you the extended tour. Shield spells had only been the start. Amage guided me through one concealed hallway and shielded chamber after another, turning off the shields for me and restoring them in our wake. We walked into a large, multi-cornered ritual chamber, bleached the brightest white. The floor was an intricate mosaic of white-on-white tiles in exquisite and arcane patterns. There was a mirrored chimney leading up to a skylight, looking out into the darkness of the clouds above. What is this? This... Homage revealed, is a mega spell chamber. I stumbled. Wait, you can cast mega spells here? Homage giggled. Yes and no. You can cast a specific mega spell in here, if you had enough unicorns who all knew the spell. Each mega spell chamber is keyed to a specific spell, apparently. I nodded, my mouth suddenly dry. How many mega spell chambers does Temponi have? Just this one. Amarge admitted sadly, and it's useless. Useless? Amarge moved over to one of the chamber's 32 corners. She floated up an audio machine. I found this in the recording studio. Apparently, it never got around to editing. Amarge started up the machine, and a hauntingly peaceful music flowed out, plucked and strummed from a deep-sounding harp. I closed my eyes and found myself swaying to the music. It was mysterious unlike anything I'd heard before. I tried to pull this out once a year for a late-night broadcast. I love it, but it's totally not a DJ Pwn 3. I nodded, wanting her to shut up. I was enjoying the music. It was speaking to me, touching on the sorrows of the last week, but without making me hurt. The music ended in a rippling wave of sound that slowly reverberated away. I heard a voice coming from the recording, sounding like Sampony speaking through the recording studio's intercom. That was beautiful, Lara. Next, let's try. An argument in the background, at first almost too quiet to hear, was quickly growing louder. From inside the recording chamber, the voice of a mare, who I assumed to be Lyra, spoke up. What's going on? Um, you didn't hear this from me, but Twilight Sparkle's gone the last three days without sleep, trying to prepare for the princess's inspection and has been in supreme bitchy mode all day today. I suggest steering clear. Don't worry, I don't think she'll come in here. The arguing voices outside the recording studio were getting loud enough and close enough to make out the words. Oh, that's just great. Twilight, now she's in the bathroom sobbing her eyes out. Well, I'm sorry, but those results are just unacceptable. I can't go to the princess and tell her that we've put her name on a mega spell that's... that's useless! The ponies in the recording studio had fallen completely silent. The argument was just outside their door. Twilight Sparkle, and a male voice that sounded vaguely familiar. There's better ways of handling than grabbing a pony, pointing and saying, Look, there are thousands and thousands of bodies of ponies who are dead because your spell sucks. Explain it to them. Just how the hell was that supposed to help? Don't you get it, Spike? The zebras have mega spell-tipped missiles. Hundreds of them. If they launch them, those missiles will reach Equestria from the Zebra homeland within minutes. 
And this celestial one, or celestial prime, or whatever they've been calling it, can't even be cast unless it's sunny. I can't tell the princess that the only defence we have against those missiles can be defeated by a cloudy day. What if the zebras decide to attack us at night? You know what? Forget it, Twilight. I'm going to go take a nap. And frankly, you should too. You're always taking a nap. There's work to be done. Whatever. Wake me up when the Twilight I know and love has decided to visit. Until then, I don't even want to speak to you. Ah, fine! In here, Homage said, waving a hoof at a sprawling agricultural bay. We discovered that the Ministry of Arcane Sciences had perfected spells that purified water, cleaned radiation, even purged taint. I boggled. If only that maddened ghoul doctor had known what he killed so many to accomplish. Unfortunately, Homage informed me, the spells only work on an extremely small scale, with a lot of effort. We could purge one tree, the fruit becoming ripe and succulent and perfect for consumption. But there's nothing to keep the poisons from just seeping back in, and the area affected is so small it would take an army of unicorns to clean enough to grow a field to grow a garden without having to worry about the soil going bad before the harvest. But it makes for wonderful potted plants. But if you could cast it everywhere, all at once, purge everything. I realised what I was seeing. These were the components of Gardens of Equestria. I'd say you were delusional. But I'm talking to my little Pip. I know better. It was time to tell her. When I was done, Homage collapsed weakly. Me? She looked at me, as if pleading for me to renounce the truth. The salvation of all Equestria is on me? I nodded. You? Ditsy do. Four others. We don't know who yet. This spell, it'll fix... Everything? Pretty much, I nodded. But there's things that need to be done first. I'm not the Wasteland Saviour, Homage. You are. You and them. I gave her a bittersweet smile. I'm just the one who clears the way. Homage stared at me for a long time, then pushed herself up. I need a drink. Screw my mother and screw my vulnerability to addictions. We were back in the Anthonium, and Homage was drowning herself in apple whiskey, and I was right there beside her, soused to the whatever it is that ponies get soused to. And then, Homage slurred, continuing a tale that had blurred into another tale which had jumped off from the original story about four stories back. Joke Blue says, big deal. You've got one box as bigger inside than outside. Well, Mr. Hooves, I've got four little saddlebags, and I can carry about thirty rivals in them, and more ammo than you can shake a hoof at. Hell, you should see how many rakes I can cram into my toolbox back home. Homage thumped down the apple whiskey bottle on the table for emphasis. I paused, waving my hooves as I tried to measure my imagination. I was drunk, and probably missing something, because there was no way a rake could fit in a toolbox. I finally gave up, deciding it must be a joke. Joke Blue's a funny name. How'd you get that? Amash became more sombre, although no more sober. Birth defect. Her mother was hit by killing Joke when pregnant. Lucky either of them lived. 
Ah, I said, not really understanding, but reaching out a comforting hoof anyway. It seemed the right thing to do, even though I ended up knocking over several of the apple whiskey bottles. Fortunately, most of them were empty. A memory struck, and I began to cry again. Little Pip, what is it? With a shuddering breath, I recounted, I shot one of the Steel Rangers in the back of the head. I think it was the one who killed my old mentor, but I'm not sure. Well, it sounds like the bitch deserved it. Sounds like all of the Steel Rangers did. Yes, I know. But I just snuck up and shot her and kept shooting, even after she was dead, until I'd emptied little Macintosh into her corpse. My breast heaved with a shudder. I... I don't like the pony I'm becoming. I think I'm losing myself. My voice hitched. Monterey Jack was right. I'm running out of me to save. Amarge was by my side. I didn't remember her leaving her chair. For the second time that night, she held me as I began to cry. She gently led me towards her bed. Come here, little Pip. Rest now. If Red Eye had any problem with me staying at Tempony Tower, he did nothing to show it. Even the loss of the Alicorn and Griffin seemed to go unnoticed. I knew that should worry me. Instead, I ignored it. Instead, I relaxed. I even went to the spa with homage. Twice. I didn't want to think of myself as a selfish pony, but fuck Red Eye. I needed this, and hadn't I earned at least a little of it? Maybe not, considering my mistakes. The damaged memory orb, the really stupid battle plans, going behind the wall alone. But if I didn't then, my companions certainly did. I had hoped Zenith and Homage would get along, but while Homage seemed to like the zebra, Zenith maintained a thankful but remote demeanour, even a touch frosty. It made the muffin baking sessions in the kitchen awkward enough that I spent that time in the library, sitting at the table, researching and reading. 
I just finished a comparative reading of the library's unabridged version of Applied Gemstones with my own, and was staring up at the huge painting of Splendid Valley when Zenith trotted in. Any luck finding your daughter? I asked, trying to sound casual as I reminded her what an exceptional and unique tool Homage had put at the zebra's disposal. Yes and no, Zenith replied. I have seen signs of her tribe. They have been living in the foothills beneath the Cantalot ruins, she quickly added, safely outside the cloud. But I have seen no sign of my daughter. Still, I thank you for this. You should be thanking Homage. I have. Then why do you act so cold around her? The zebra contemplated me, judged me, then finally said, Did you not see the weapon she used? Your lover has been touched by the stars. She is cursed. No good can come of her. Zenith walked out. Well, fuck. It would seem that even now there was no reasoning with a zebra when it came to that nonsense. I was probably lucky I didn't step in any star-spawn blood, or she might think I was cursed too. There's no such thing as curses! I called out after her in frustration. With a deep sigh, I buried my head in the scattering of books. A few minutes later, Amage strode in, a puff of muffin batter on her nose. Now then, she whispered huskily as she wrapped her forelegs around me. I flushed, feeling a pleasant, uncontrolled fluttering wash over my body like I'd fallen into a bed of butterflies. Where was I? That fluttering coalesced in my nether regions, becoming very warm and joyfully difficult to bear. Twenty-three, wasn't it? Oh my goddesses, she was actually counting! The sky bandit cut through the air as we approached Splendid Valley. The sky was crisp and slightly stained with smoke. The valley below was a rocky wasteland, completely barren of life. Scattered small holes were the only warnings that the caves beneath were home to dozens, if not hundreds, of the most dangerous monsters in all of Equestria. Hellhounds. I floated out my binoculars and stared towards the horizon. A sinkhole several miles across indicated where the Balefire bomb had detonated. The bomb had been snuck in underground and detonated. The surface above had collapsed into the toxin-filled tunnels below. Over the last 200 years, the sinkhole had weathered and eroded into a wide crater. It glowed faintly, even in the daylight. It was marked with hundreds of holes. On the cusp of the crater, I saw the crumbled walls of the Maripony. Once a station for gem mining, the building had more in common with Shattered Hoof than any of the ministry hubs I had seen. It could have passed for a fortress, but a devastated one. The explosion and sinkhole had torn away part of the foundation and crumbled the rest. About a third of the building had collapsed into the crater. The rest had suffered a megaquake. Wah, Nelly! If the goddess don't survive that, I reckon she probably earned 200 years eleven. What is the plan, little one? Plan? Velvet Remedy chuckled. I think little Pip's just planning to go in there and shoot her. My friends had all spent the last couple days in much-needed recovery, as had I. Despite the mounting hopelessness of our mission, everyone was well-rested and back in form. If I was going to fail and die, I was happy it would be like this, with these ponies. No, wait. Zebras aren't ponies. With these people. Well, then it's a darn good thing I sold all those guns and bought us plenty of ammo. Even managed to get some enchanted ones for little Macintosh. 
I don't know if they're in gender with God, Slayan, but we can hope. I checked my pit buck and brought up my eyes forward sparkle. I checked the date and time. Ditty Doo should be getting her muffins right about now. I smiled to Zenith. Thanks for your help with that. I'm sure she'll love them. It struck me that when Zenith and I had walked across the moat and outside the wall, I had been in the equestrian wasteland for just over five weeks. Now it was nearly six. Six weeks from apprentice pip-up technician to would-be deity slayer. My life is surreal! Velvet Remedy leaned close. So, how high did you get to? I blushed hotly and buried my face in my forearms. Look sharp! Calamity called out. Incoming at high eight! My head shot up. I pulled up the binoculars again. Five glowing orbs. Alicorn shields. We're heading towards us from Maripony. Damn it! I should have worn that damn enclave gear after all. Calamity cursed. Lil Pip, reassemble Spitfire's thunder. We're in for a bumpy ride. I levitated out the magically augmented anti-machine rifle from Calamity's holster and began putting it together. Four midnight blue alicorns suddenly appeared, flanking us. The stars curse me to a thousand rapes by the horn of Nightmare Moon, Zenith whispered next to me shocking me nearly as much as the alicorn's arrival. You've been around Little Pip too long, Velvet suggested, floating out her shotgun. The alicorns were already casting their shields. Welcome to the home of the goddess! The voice boomed in my head, reverberating with its own echoes. Oh, Velvet moaned, wavering. This is not good. Put away your puny weapons and come. You are my guests! For I, the goddess, have nothing to fear from you. Oh no. No, 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 no. If and she got nothing to fear from us, then why the show? Hell, why not just send us packing? Zenith looked between the three of us. What are you speaking of? But I knew. Oh, by the goddesses, the real ones. I knew. Heavily, I said. Because... She wants us to do something for her. We were guided into the crumbling building. As we landed, we saw at least three dozen more alicorns standing about the crumbling ruins. In a single movement, in perfect unity, they all turned their heads to look at us. It was the unparalleled creepiest thing in the history of ever. Escorted through the doors by the four midnight blue alicorns, they had dropped their shields. Honestly, they didn't need them. We were totally outmatched. I was surprised when the alicorns brought us to what looked like a security substation within the building. This room seemed largely undamaged, save by time. The rest of the rooms and hallways we had seen were broken and crumbling, fragmented by the subterranean blast and eroded by centuries and the weather. This small room was almost intact. There was no goddess here. There was nothing here but some chairs, a bank of four dusty monitors and a microphone, a filing cabinet, and a few ridiculously pristine coffee cups. The area above the monitors was glass, but the long window looked out at nothing but a metal wall inches away. The opposite wall held a recessed door. There were odd grooves on the wall. I reckon this is our cell, Calamity said. If so, it would be stifling and cramped if any of the alicorns tried to stay in here with us. We will talk, but first 
the goddess wishes you to see, to understand, and to marvel. The voice of the goddess didn't merely reverberate. I realised it preverberated, like there were dozens of smaller, weaker voices inside that one, all trying to say the same thing at the same time, and not quite succeeding. The voice of the goddess was a chorus. Understand what? Velvet Remedy asked. Zenith looked at her, confused. The goddess! The security monitors flickered to life under the dust. One of them displayed colourful ponies in lab coats milling about a much bigger version of this room, full of monitors and mainframes and banks of blinking lights. Ready when you are. A Chateroux's pony with a cutie mark of a flask filled with bubbling green liquid said, glancing up at us through the monitor. These images are of the far past, Zenith intoned. The second monitor looked down on a vast factory floor. The factory was filled with six huge interconnected vats full of churning, luminescent stews that rippled with lavender and green beneath glass coverings. The light casting coloured shadows over everything. Arcane apparatus hung down from the ceiling. Catwalks ringed the vats, and another hung suspended from the ceiling above and between them, stopping midway across the room with some manner of control panel at the end. Again with the catwalks over factory floors aesthetic of wartime equestria! I groused. Is that? Velvet Remedy began to ask as a single pony appeared on the third monitor, an elderly lavender pony with grey streaking her purple mane. The room behind her was about the size of this one, filled with identical monitoring equipment. But where we saw only a metal wall, her picture window looked out onto the factory floor in monitor two. Twilight Sparkle! Uh, your goddessness? Calamity said to the air, tapping at the last monitor. I hope you're aware that this one is broken. The monitor had a large crack running through it and was displaying only rainbow splotches. Broken? What? Of course I am. The goddess knows all. The little sub-voices continued to telepathically echo the last two words for several seconds after the goddess had spoken. Lovely, Velvet Remedy said snidely. Ready to begin pony testing? Twilight Sparkle said, sounding just a hint nervous. Send her in. Sending in test subject one. Don't call her that. Twilight warned. She trotted over to look out the window, flirting a coffee cup filled with what looked like tea to her lips, sipping primly. She set the cup aside and leaned her muzzle over to a microphone. On monitor two, a lovely blue unicorn with a mane that had aged to a luxurious silver slowly made her way onto the suspended catwalk. She turned and looked up at the window. Twilight Sparkle, I just wanted to thank you again for giving me this opportunity. It means so much to me. You're welcome, Trixie. Twilight Sparkle said kindly. The name rang a bell, but it took a moment to place it. Trixie, the mayor from the cottage outside Fetlock. She went to Manhattan for a meeting with Twilight Sparkle and never returned. The lavender pony hit a button with her hoof and an ornate golden cup rose out of the console at the end of the walkway. Purple and green liquid rose through tubes running from the vats to the apparatus above, then a thin stream poured into the cup. Trixie walked across the platform and sniffed at the cup. Is that roses? Twilight chuckled softly. Yes, I added the scent. Hopefully it will taste like roses too. Really? Trixie looked up towards Twilight Sparkle with astonishment. Twilight's ears drooped. Unfortunately, probably not. She hesitated. Trixie... You know you don't have to do this. 
Oh, I want to, the blue unicorn insisted. I want to help, and this will make me more powerful, like Luna and Celestia. Well, not that powerful, but more powerful, yes? Like you, then? Twilight Sparkle looked uncomfortable. We're hoping for more than that. And it's safe, right? Absolutely! Twilight Sparkle assured the blue unicorn on the catwalk below her. All the tests have come back looking spectacular. The only variable is, well, dosage. And for that, we need to do testing with pony volunteers like you. With luck, we'll get it right the first time, and you'll be the first new alicorn since Luna was born. The unicorn at the end of the catwalk nodded and mumbled something that sounded like, Great and powerful smells like roses. Then looked up with wide eyes. You sure I shouldn't start with a little more, then? Twilight Sparkle stifled a chuckle. No, I... On the monitors, everything happened at once. From the broken one, I could hear a terrible roar and the rainbow sprays turned to a flaring light. On the other three, the world shook. On the first, chunks of ceiling came down, some killing ponies outright, one blocking the door. A mainframe toppled in a spray of sparks. On monitor two, the entire factory's floor shook. I could hear the loud twangs as several of the cables holding the suspended platform snapped out of the ceiling. Sections of catwalk fell. Two of the vats were ruptured as a third of the ceiling came down, spilling their glowing contents onto the factory floor. I could see automatic systems severing and sealing the connections with the other vats. Trixie cried out as half of the cables holding up her section of the catwalk gave way, turning it into a freely swinging platform. On the third monitor, alarms were blaring. Radiation surge detected. Seismic activity detected. Toxic contamination warning. Safe rooms ceiling. No! shouted Twilight Sparkle as a huge armoured plate slid down over the door to her room. She turned to the window as a massive armoured shutter swung down from above. Trixie! On monitor two, Trixie's platform tipped, swinging in a low arc. The unicorn slid down the inclined surface, trying to find purchase, as the lower end of the catwalk segment impacted the glass roof of one of the vats, shattering it. The blue unicorn plunged into the vat. All the monitors flickered and went dead. The four of us stood in the security room, shaken, our eyes peeling away from the monitors to look at each other. Monitor three flickered back on. Dear any pony, this is the mayor of the Ministry of Magic, Twilight Sparkle. A weakened Twilight said. It has now been two days since the mega spell strike on Maripony. I can only assume by the lack of rescue that this was not an isolated strike. I'm leaving this record in case some pony does come. I'm trapped in safe room three on the Mara Pony Vats level. The elderly lavender pony addressed the camera. The safeguards that should allow me to open it aren't working. And unfortunately for me, I designed these rooms to withstand a nearby mega spell strike. So the room is more than a match for my own magic. Calamity, Velvet Remedy, Zenith and I watched the monitor, realising we were watching Twilight Sparkle's goodbye letter. My vision began to blur wetly. I tried to force myself not to cry. I'd cried too much this week already, but the tears rolled down my cheeks anyway. I'm out of food, and the safe room's water talisman seems to have been corrupted. She gave a wry smile as she said, At least I'm fairly sure pure water isn't supposed to be that colour. I'm also beginning to suffer hallucinations. I think I'm hearing the screams of the ponies in Maripony, like something horrible is happening to them. But I know that's impossible. These walls are soundproof. I keep hearing Trixie's voice in my head, screaming. 
Sometimes it gets so bad. The lavender pony waved it off. Not important. What's important is that we tried. We tried, and we came so very close. Another week, maybe even just a few more days. And the work we did here would have not only changed the war, I believe we could have forced a peaceful resolution. What's important now is that we still have one more chance. Find Spike. He's my most loyal assistant, my number one assistant. Find him. Twilight Sparkle seemed to fall asleep. The monitor flickered out again. Spike? Zenith asked. The monitor burst back to life. Twilight Sparkle's haggard face was pressed close to the camera. She looked atrophied. Crazy. Something's going on here. I... I don't know what, but it's bad. If you're in Maraponi, get out. Get out while you can and drop a zebra missile on this place. Suddenly, there was a loud metallic grinding from the speaker below monitor two. On the monitor, we watched as the metal plate on the door lifted up. The metal shutters over the windows lifted. Monitor two sprang to life. The vats room was a disaster. The floor was waist thick in mixed fluids. Something swam in the water. No, not swam. The body of a light red unicorn pony was being dragged through the liquid by a telekinetic tendril. We watched as the tendril hauled the body out of the pool and up the side of the vats. A moment later, the body disappeared over the lip and into the vat. Streaks of blood rose up several of the vats. On monitor three, Twilight Sparker was crawling towards the door, too weak from hunger and dehydration to stand. Unable to stand, she couldn't see what was just outside her window. Light fled in the room, a blue light that took the form of Trixie. The blue unicorn stood, shimmering in front of Twilight Sparkle. From this angle, we could clearly make out her face as she spoke to the lavender unicorn, who once bore an element of magic. The Trixie illusion spoke, but no words came out. I'm sorry, Trixie. Twilight Sparkle whimpered. As the Trixie illusion's mouth continued to move, Zenith pushed past me and leaned close. Our zebra began to read the movement of the illusion's mouth. To be sorry for. Your experiment worked. It worked more wonderfully than we ever dreamed it would. Don't be sorry. Be happy. We're going to live forever. You in I. I felt a deep, dark chill and prayed that Zenith had mistranslated that. What? asked a startled Twilight. I'm sorry it took so long for me to be strong enough to save you, Twilight Sparkle. Velvet Remedy gasped as light blue tendrils of telekinetic energy snaked into the room and wrapped around each of Twilight's hooves. No! Twilight Sparkle struggled with more strength than should have been possible. It is time to save you now, Twilight Sparkle. Zenith continued to speak for Illusion Trixie. We're going to be very close now, you and I. Oh, goddesses. Velvet moaned and buried her face in Calamity's mane as the tendrils slowly dragged Twilight Sparkle, kicking and screaming towards one of the vats. I was shaking. I wanted, so desperately wanted, to turn away. But I couldn't. Twilight Sparkle let out a last cry as she was dragged over the lip of the furthest vat. One word, a name, I think, but I couldn't make out what it was. The two monitors went blank, and this time they stayed that way. Oh goddesses, oh goddesses, oh goddesses. I felt utterly numb with horror. 
Velvet Remedy was crying. Calamity looked grimmer than ever. The whole room shook, the air filling with the squeal of grinding metal. As the shutters over our own window lifted up, we stared out over the vats. This wasn't just a similar room. It was the same room. Centuries had not been kind to the room beyond. Another third of the ceiling had collapsed, as had two of the vats. The pool on the floor had turned to sludge covered with a sickly layer of dust and floating debris. Swirls of coloured light seeped up from the still two intact vats. They danced in the air, exploding like fireworks in my head. I heard the echoes of half-remembered fanfare, but not from any memory of my own. The great and powerful goddess welcomes you! Okay, how in tarnation do we kill that? Calamity! I hissed. More swirls of light curled from the vats. They shimmered, merging together, until the giant face of Trixie loomed above us. But not just Trixie, as little motes of other ponies' faces occasionally burst to the surface like zits, crawling along the head and mane of Trixie before sinking back. Fear not, for I, the goddess, already know why you have come. Red Eye, that treacherous pony, desires my end. But the goddess is not worried, for the goddess is great and powerful, and Red Eye is not. Somehow, through the sheer soul-breaking horror of what I was seeing and what I had just witnessed, the little pony in my head stomped for me to pay attention. She did not like where this was heading. Fear not, Zenith began, for I, the goddess, already. You can stop that now, Velvet Remedy hissed. Yes! yes! I squeaked, then fought to find my voice. Red Eye has seen these recordings, hasn't he? It matters it not, not that he has seen them. seen them. That would be a yes. It matters that he has disobeyed me and plotted against me. It matters that he has been withholding from me. Red Eye has not sent me a unicorn in over a year, and the goddess believes he will soon stand in the way of unity altogether. And let me guess, I prodded, you need us to kill Red Eye for you. Please let it not be something as stupid as that. There wouldn't be enough face hooves in the world. The illusionary fireworks changed. A spinning pinwheel of crimson flame swirled behind the floating glower of the goddess, over-signalling her displeasure. Ugh, Velvet Remedy whispered, cringing back. Even for a real goddess, this would be a bit much, she neighed. Honestly, if we must have some eldritch nightmare of an arcane science goddess, does she have to be a freaky carnival sideshow goddess too? Do not be absurd! The goddess can slay him at any time I choose! But... And here it comes. It is possible that he has discovered something that may be a threat to the new glorious world we are building. And therefore, before the goddess destroys him, we, I, must know what that is! Well, okay, that makes much more sense. Says the goddess who claimed to know all not twenty minutes ago. Velvet Remedy muttered. Calamity nudged her with a wing. Would you kindly not go upset in the telepathic psycho gestalt? And why us? I asked. 
Because the secret that Renai seeks, the secret hidden even from the great and powerful goddess, is locked away inside a warehouse on Ministry Walk in Canterlot. Oh, so that's the place Red Eye is trying to get into. I remembered a conversation with Watcher. Yes. One of Equestria's heroes did decide that her ministry would be the Ministry of Awesome. They even built a ministry headquarters for it on Ministry Walk. After a few years, Luna ordered it to be crated up, and they began to using the MAWHQ for storage. With control that can only be operated by a Pegasus! Clever. So the goddess didn't actually need me. She needed Calamity. I wondered how Red Eye was planning to get past that. And beyond, a shield which only a military man can step through. And that would be the bypass that Red Eye was trying to get through. But why did... Oh, of course. Close family, or direct descendants thereof. The goddess needed Velvet Remedy as well. Once again, I was just the one clearing the way. In addition, there is one thing remaining that prevents unity. A flaw in the process that must be corrected before it can be brought to every pony in this brightened land. You know, now that I've seen what unity is all about, I'm fine with that. That is because you are only a pony. Your kind can't thrive in this world any longer. You merely survive, and barely at that. But my children can thrive. My children are more powerful, more capable of facing the mutated dangers of this world. The very poisons which kill you make my children stronger. Your children can't even breathe, I pointed out. Every single alicorn I've seen is a mare. You have no stallions. Now, I'll agree that that can be fun, but when it comes to thriving, that's a doozy of a problem. The main voice of the goddess went silent a moment. Flares and fireworks continued to explode behind her glowing, faces covered face. They whispered incoherently in my mind, giving me a headache. As the goddess said, a flaw, but one which can be corrected with the right magic. Let me guess, you want Rarity's little black book? The goddess did need me after all. She needed some pony who could pick a lock. As our Alicorn escorts marched us back to the Sky Bandit, all my friends were wondering the same thing as I was. What now? Can you all read lips? Zenith asked. Okay, so not all my friends were wondering the same thing. Red Eye still had me over a barrel, but... I stopped like I'd been hit in the face with a bale of hay. I lost feeling in all my hooves as one more horrid realisation flooded through me. Little Pip? Calamity asked. Something in my expression was making him look very worried. She said Red Eye hadn't sent her any unicorns in over a year. My mind flashed back to experiences with slavers, and the little hints that Red Eye, or at least Stern, was particularly interested in unicorns. And another unicorn too. She'll fetch a pretty price, this one. If I wasn't a unicorn, I'd say toss it back in the lake. But if Red Eye wasn't sending unicorns to the goddess... I said darkly. Then he's keeping them for himself. I turned and looked at the others in desperation. Red Eye talked about controlling the weather, moving the sun and the moon. He couldn't do that if he just became an alicorn. But he's not aiming to become an alicorn. He's aiming to become one of... of... 
I pointed a hoof back at Maraponi. That! The only way he could possibly hope to get that kind of power was to duplicate what happened to Trixie. And he could. He'd seen the videos, and based on his claim that the fortress of the Everfrey Forest was designed as a new home for the goddess, he was building a duplicate of the Maraponi vats at the cathedral. He wasn't sending the goddess any unicorns, because unicorns have the strongest magic of all the ponies, and he was keeping them to consume himself. Footnote! Level up! Maximum level! Skills note! Stealth has reached 100%! New perk! Celestia Tear Telekinesis! The things you can do with your levitation magic are the feats of legend. You can effectively fly at the skill level of a novice Pegasus. Who knows? Maybe you could even move the sun. Now you see, the goddess is fucking terrifying. And there's nothing more to say about it than that. She is fucking terrifying. Now don't get me wrong, Pip's got a lot to do before our story comes to a close. And a whole lot of bad ponies she's gonna put at the ground. But damn, if this one makes me shiver. Music. Uh. Here's whiskey from Greenhome. Enjoy, people. Oh, I should have just sent the whiskey when they saw the trouble coming. Oh, they should have just sent the whiskey. Then there wouldn't be a running. The times are tough and things are bad, so why be dumb and risky? When you see the trouble come, come, come. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.